Hey, good morning, Mark. My favorite pastor. <laughs> Say that again. I said, good morning, Pastor Jeff, my favorite pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you all get that? <laughs> um, you know, uh, before we get into this, Mark, you know, the mission of this church is to make disciples. And, um, you know, there, there's a group of men that you, you saw in, the, uh, in that video there, you know, Ryan Stroop and Ben Maul and Mark Rodriguez and uh, Duddy Murdoff. The, the, the Lord has put on them... To not just to not just have like men's fellowship activities where we kind of get together occasionally and you know go ski shooting and you know have bacon. It's it's more of an intentional discipleship, accountability, transparency, and um, they they brought to the eldership an amazing um, idea for men's ministry. Ryan's actually going to be talking about that more next week, but, you know, we want to encourage all of the men of this church to take a hard look at that and um, prepare yourselves for some uh, real gospel transformation that comes when uh, iron sharpens iron and men are invested in each other's lives. So, Brian will talk more about that next week, so I don't want to get, don't want to step on his toes. Yeah, I mean, today's Q&A day, right? And yes. um We've been looking forward to this for a long time, but you know, before before we get into this, I just have to say one thing. Um, that last song we sang, I had to recover from that a little bit because it said this in the song: "All the world can come to Him and have their sins removed." And we've sung that song here before, haven't we, Darren? And that never really hit me that hard as it did this morning. That what's our biggest need? as human beings. Our, our most fundamental need is to have our sins removed. And Jesus does that. Amen. He doesn't cover them up. He removes them. The Lamb of God takes away the sin, right? He, yeah, he, he doesn't just cover them. He, he removes them. Amen. I love that song. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, today's Q&A day. And so uh, um, for those of you that maybe haven't experienced this yet, or are new around here, maybe today's your first time. Um, what do we normally do at Harvest? And what's this Q&A day thing all about, Jeff? Well, you know, it, it started as an experiment. This is like the, I think the 14th or 15th one that we've done, I think, something like that. But, you know, many years ago, just as an experiment, we're like, what if we took a service and just answered the questions that people in the congregation had? And it was... Um, it went over pretty well. We found that people had some really good questions that um, we didn't want to be a church that was like, there are certain subjects that are off limits, right? Don't talk about that. Don't ask about that. We believe that God's Word um, has the answers for everything that we need. So we're like, what questions do you have? Let's go to God's Word and get the answers for whatever the questions are. So we don't, we don't run from any questions here, right, Mark? I mean... They're always good questions. I mean, we've got to hit them all. Yeah. Sometimes we don't make, uh, make it to the end. Um, and then what happens with those? The ones that we don't get to today, um, we'll put them on the blog on our website. Because, and the reason we do that is I know somebody here is going to think we was ducking your question, right? You're going to be like, oh, Mark couldn't handle that one, right? That one was too tough. And you're going to be walking around all proud of yourself. 
It's going to be on the blog, all right? Because he ain't afraid of nothing, all right? That's why he's up here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll blog what's not covered. And then the other couple ground rules that I put on here, Mark, we ask or we answer what we think you're asking, right? So we have a pretty good sense of what's being asked in the question. So we can only answer what we think you're asking. And, um, and we're going to give the short answer because honestly, these questions, we could do like an entire like sermon series, sermon series on any one of these questions, right? So we're going to give the short answer. And if you want, um, any more like elaboration on some of these, you can buy us Chick-fil-A and we'll sit over there and we'll, Mark will tell you everything you want to know, right? Sounds fair. That's, um, that's the other part of that fair. question was what we normally do. Um, did you mention that? Maybe I missed it. I we, don't know. we normally go through a book of the Bible, and Jeff will preach expositionally, verse right. by verse. And, um, and that will happen starting again in August, right? Right. And in July, we have our guest speakers. We have four men from our church who are, um, have been working very hard and putting a message together. And... Uh, we had we had our, our last rehearsal last uh, Friday, and just four men who love the Lord, love God's word, and and have spent a long time putting these messages together, and they're going to be giving them in July. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, they're fantastic. And in uh, August, Lord willing, unless He returns before then, which wouldn't be a bad thing. Amen. Um, but if if He doesn't return before then, we'll get back to the Gospel of John. So. All right, so are you, are you ready? Yeah, what do we want to set the timer? Like, how much time do we want to have for this? An hour. There are people, his wife is working in the nursery. Do you really want him to go home and face Kristen's wrath? Like, she got it. She got it. So um, an hour might be a little ambitious. No lunch for me. No lunch for you. How about you want to say 35 minutes? That's fair. Is that fair? 35 minutes? All right. I'm going to start the timer then. And we'll do as many as we can in 35 minutes, all right? Sounds good. All right, Here let's we go. do it. Timer's going. i to get my cheaters on. All right. Question one, Jeff. Um, were God the Father, Son, and Spirit all present at the beginning of creation? And how can we know this? Yeah. Um, the Bible is very clear that, you know, God, one God exists as three persons, and all three members of the Godhead, which, by the way, we don't understand because we are people who live in time and space. God lives outside of time and space. So it's kind of logical that there are some things about God that we just can't understand. So we have to turn to God's Word and say, what does the Bible say about that? And the Bible says very clearly that, first of all, God the Father was involved in creation. You know, Genesis. Uh, one one uh, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the Hebrew, that's Elohim uh, is the name for God. That was how it's almost better translated, the Almighty One. Um, and then Bara, Elohim Bara. Bara is created out of nothing. But then the very next verse, Genesis one two says, then the Spirit of God does. Rausch of Elohim proceeded to move upon the face of the waters. So God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, according to Genesis 1-2, was involved 
in creation as well. And Mark, what does the Bible say about uh, Jesus Christ's involvement in creation? Well, in the New Testament, um, uh, there's a couple places in Colossians 1.16 and John 1.3. And um, I'll read these in a second, but we, we have to get this right because all sorts of heresies arise from not um, understanding that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were all there together at the beginning. And so um, in Colossians 1.16, it says this, For by him, by him, Christ, referring to Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so these are clear passages from the New Testament about uh, Jesus being present then. And uh, the Jehovah Witnesses get this wrong. Um, they say that Jesus was a created being. Right. And that's where the, her- the heresy right. and, and false religions arise, by not getting this right. Right. And, you know, part of that also, um, God says... Let us make man in our image. And I personally believe that what he is talking about there, the us is the Godhead. And for us to be created in God's image, there is more to you than what you see when you look in a mirror. You are body, mind, and spirit. So essentially, you are three in one, just as God is three in one. right? So I believe that that's an aspect of creation when God says, let us make man in our image, that there's a sense in which being in the image of God, um, we, we carry that uh, plurality of, of person within ourselves. That, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a mystery how all that works, but um, it makes sense to God. And even if we can't explain it or understand it, we believe it. Amen. All right, we're going to go to the second question. And um, whoever wrote this question... You get the award for the longest question that we've ever had at Q&A day. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a dude. Get comfortable. So I'm probably going to uh, skim some of it, if that's okay. Do you personally see and feel the rise of the spirit of the Antichrist throughout the world? All Romans 1 items check within just a few years' time, and, and these are the items. Uh, you have pastors thrown in prison, churches fenced off, their homes burned, with children in them, uh, referring to some of the stuff that happened in, in Canada, I guess, up in, uh, right. to our north. Um, U.S. churches uh, shuttered in the name of saving uh, just one is worth it, um, bowing to the altar of health, wealth, and science, the new religion. Uh, we have atrocities by world governments, human trials of uh, uh, genetic um, modifications supported by corporate co- coercion. Uh, we have suicide-inducing... Uh, lockdowns, uh, planned starvation, destruction of small businesses, uh, purposeful separation of uh, sheep and goats, uh, testing and vaccine uh, requirements, uh, the technological explosion uh, ripe for uh, the mark of the beast. We have um, the removal of uh, free speech, big big tech takeover, cancel culture, woke culture, uh, twisting of language and logic. Um, We have... uh, Related to that, uh, birthing persons, because, because uh, I'm sorry, the logic in that we have birthing persons because biological men can have babies, menstruate, compete with girls in sports, 
Uh, Amen must include a woman. I mentioned the big tech takeover, biometric data, um, false coin shortage, a uh, whole bunch of things here. Israel, new wars, new, new government mixed with Jew and Muslim power, global anti-Semitism, nations fighting against nations with BLM peaceful protests. We have a whole bunch of stuff here in this question to name a few. The question is, uh, the wedding feast seems to be getting really close now. So, personally, how close do you, are you to feeling that the removal of his bride, the church, is now? That's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like somebody's like, I'd really like to give a sermon, but I'm really not keen on public speaking. Is there a way I can slide in? Okay, so the first question is, do I personally see and feel the rise of the spirit of Antichrist throughout the world? Uh, yes. Second question, that was a yes or no question. Right? And the second question is, the wedding feast seems to be getting really close now. Personally, how close are you feeling that the removal of his bride church is now? Um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. You don't have to turn there. You can jot it down. But I'm going to read this quickly. Matthew 24, verse 32. And this is in the context of Jesus talking about end times stuff. Jesus said, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things he just mentioned previously, Jesus mentioned, so also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus made it very clear that there are some signs that we are to look for. And we went through the book of Revelation here at church, and we've talked about end time stuff quite a bit. And we know that there are some signs, some of them mentioned here, in this extraordinarily long and well-crafted question, um, you know, things like, you know, one world government, one world currency, you know, uh, just so many things that the Bible talks about that we're seeing being fulfilled in front of us. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. But Jesus said, made a statement three times here, verse 36. He said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Then verse 44, Jesus said, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then 25.13, he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So so here's, here's where we are, right, Mark? It's Jesus said, No one knows the time, but be watching for the signs. Right? Because the signs are going to show us when things are near. And I believe that, I believe that things are very near. You know, if you were to pin me down on a time, I would just say, honestly, I could see it within the next year or two based on a lot of the things that are happening globally right now. I, I could see the return of Christ within the next year or two. I mean, things, I don't, you don't need me to tell you how the, the, um, exponential rate. Uh, I mean, I, I went through the list, and that's just a piece of it. Um, just the exponential rate of, of, uh, of a slide or uh, deterioration 
uh, not in our country, just in our country, but around the world. And um, I like the passage that, uh, that you mentioned there about uh, being watchful in 2513. And I took a look at this passage, and my, my version says be on the alert. Um, and I looked that up, and it's, uh, it's a watchfulness, a strict attention to. Um, take heed lest some sudden calamity overtake you. And there's no room for uh, falling asleep at the wheel here. Um, there, there's no room for laziness. Um, we have to be vigilant and watchful, you know, looking for these signs, but, but also um, just, just in our own personal walk. We need to stay in the Word. We need to, we need to stay in tune with the truth because that's hard to find. You know, fake news and all the stuff on, on the internet. Uh, we don't know what's true anymore. Um, but we have to be, um, vigilant and, and on the alert and, and watchful as the passage says here. And we don't know the, the day or the time. We, yeah, we don't know. But Jesus said, pay attention to the signs and you'll have an awareness to when it's near. And I, I believe that, I, I believe that it's coming soon. And that leads us to our next question. It seems like Christ's return is imminent. And by the way, uh, this person gets the prize for the second longest question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I believe he's coming back soon. I can't wait to be taken up to heaven. Amen. I just don't know how to live day to day with that type of mindset, knowing that I'm going to be taken away. How do I live normally, worrying about work, job, finances, buying cars and stuff, uh, upkeep for my house, etc.? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the believers that they haven't, that they haven't missed it and they need to keep on working. So I know I need to continue on. I'm just challenged by how to do that. Christ's love is in me. And yes, I can share that with others and try to get as many to heaven as possible. But really, preacher, I'm exhausted from what God has given me. I'm ready to go. Can you give a few pieces of advice for how to persevere? How should I be praying? Thank you. That is a really good question. And, you know, as we approach God's Word, in uh, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus was talking about end time stuff, right? And so when I saw this question, the first thing I, I had to ask was, what application did Jesus make, right? In light of end time events, things that are coming soon, what application did Jesus, and Jesus directly answers this question, um, verses 45 through, what we have, 51 in, in Matthew 24. Here's what Jesus, in light of all that he said was coming, tribulation events and the close of the end of this age, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus used this analogy here of the, the wise servant who's like, I know 
I know my master's coming back soon, so I'm going to get busy doing my master's business. And that's the work of the church. That's evangelism. That's discipleship. That's reaching the world with with the love and and the Word of God. And Jesus contrasted it with the wicked servant. It's like, hey, he ain't coming back. And he just, he mistreats people and he's abusive and he's mean-spirited and cruel. And um, his his future not looking so good. But Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, makes almost the exact same application quickly. He says, uh, again, he's talking about the day of the Lord uh, Tribulation type stuff, you know, Day of the Lord, like Zephaniah. Yeah, I heard some sermons about that recently. Yeah, it seems seems kind of fresh, doesn't it? But he's talking about those things. And again, so my question is, well, how do, how does the Bible apply end times teaching? And here it is. He says, "So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night." But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, I want to focus on that last verse here, because the nature of this question it's very personal. Like, yes, I know the love of Christ, and I'm ready for Him to come, and I'm struggling with just the normal things of life, work and job and finances. And, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. Like, yeah, I get the Bible answer preacher, but like my day-to-day living, how do I, how do I persevere in light of the return of Christ? And the very last thing that I read here, verse 11, He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that's one of the big reasons at Harvest Bible Chapel we have small groups. We're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups, and we encourage people to be in a small group. Why? For lots of reasons, but here's one. Small groups should be the place where you're encouraging one another and building one another up. You know, we've said it a thousand times. If your church involvement is I slip in on Sunday uh, late and I slip out early and I'll see you next Sunday, you're not going to feel very connected here at the church. It's through um, the relationships that form through Christian fellowship and small group ministry where things like this are fulfilled, where people are encouraging you, you know, to um, to persevere and 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 go strong in, in all of these categories that he's talking about. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, in small group, uh, if you're in a small group, you don't need me to tell you this because you already know. Um, it's not just that Wednesday night or that Thursday night thing. You're all through the week talking with one another, whether it's on a phone or email or text. People don't use email anymore, do they? I don't know. But I texting, I, if I get a text from like Dawn Saber during the week or a phone call from somebody, I'm like, you know, it just like makes my whole day, you know, like I, I'm ready to go. And um, and that happens all throughout the week and it's encouraging. It's it's great to know that somebody's thinking about me, praying for me, uh, lifting me up. Um, that's how we persevere, I believe. Amen. Amen. 
That's true of the relationships in the church, right? You have to have relationships. Not just like, you know, how do you do's on Sunday morning, but like investing in each other's lives. Which is another great thing with this men's group that's starting up. Relationships. Yeah, we're not meant to be alone. No. Um, All right, next one. In Revelation, John sees the events of the end times. And since John is a saved man, would he also be seeing himself in the future? Meaning that there would be a past John and a future John. Also, if John is there for the end times that he already had seen, wouldn't he have known that the Lamb was worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? I I love this question because this question reminds me of like Back to the Future. Right, and I don't know who wrote this question, but that, I have a guess that this person also is a Back to the Future fan. That John was like, "I got to get my parents to dance at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance," and uh, he's carrying around the photograph, and like James is vanishing from the photograph. Apparently, nobody here's seen Back to the Future. Like that sounds like you've seen it too much. All right, Mark. Well, one of the things that I just want to mention about this, and it's more of a general thing about prophecy, and Jeff has mentioned this several times when he's preached about prophecy, that there's a, a near uh, fulfillment and a, and a far fulfillment. Did I have that right? Yeah. Um, but Kristen and I, we were uh, watching this video from a guy, his name's Bob Morris, and he's from Hadavar Ministries, and he was doing a, a series on Isaiah. Um, he's not talking about John, uh, he was talking about Isaiah, but... Uh, there's a principle or a, an a- analogy that, that he gave. And, um, you know, I know analogies sometimes have uh, weak points to them, but um, you might get the picture with this. He gave a, a, an analogy of a, a, a traffic reporter in a helicopter. And the helicopter goes up with a traffic reporter, and you're in, uh, we'll say that you're in, uh, you know, Wexford. You're in Wexford right now. You're in Wexford, and you're going to go to Pittsburgh and you're going to go down 19. The traffic reporter, he sees you, or he sees Wexford, and he sees that there's an accident on Route 19 five miles away. You don't know the accident's there. That accident to you is future. You're going to get stuck in traffic, you know, 10 minutes from now or whatever. You don't know that. But the traffic reporter, he radios back to the station and says, hey, we have an accident on 19. Traffic's blocked up. You hear it on the radio, and now you sort of know what's going to come down your uh, in your future if 10 minutes from now. And he said that it's kind of that way with how Isaiah or John, were, they were seeing things in the future um, because they were up here, and they could see the timeline. Does that make sense? Uh, that, I think that's a really good analogy. Does that resonate with anybody else? Just me? Is that helpful? Okay. But what about um, what about this future John and stuff? What do you think about well, that? Um, I've thought a lot about that. I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, obviously John doesn't mention that. You know, John, at no point in Revelation, was like, and then behold, I saw the Lamb step forth, and hey, hang on a second, there's me. I'm looking good. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't mention that at all. 
And uh, why doesn't he mention that? Because that's really not the point. The point of Revelation, he says, to, to show the things that must soon take place. So Revelation is about mainly outlining what happens during the seven-year tribulation, you know, Daniel's 70th week. He's mainly showing us that and showing us what um, the eternal state is going to look like. So uh, that's his main focus. And when we, when we read a prophecy like that, I just want to remind you of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. And this, this is a whole sermon here, but I'm going to try to keep it short. Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, what he's saying is sometimes, you know, we want to go beyond what the Bible actually says. And I think it's fun to think about these things. You know, did John see himself and what was that like, etc.? But, you know, Paul gives us a warning here that we don't want to go beyond what the Bible actually says, right? I don't know if John saw himself. And the point is, it doesn't matter. Because John, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through this vision, told us what God wanted us to know, right? God told us what He wanted us to know. And it gets back to like Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things He's revealed belong to us and our children. There's some things God wants us to know. He's like, I wrote them down. And other things, I mean, we can talk about and we can sort of imagine and wonder, but we just don't know. And that's what I have on my notes here. It's okay to say IDK, right? It's okay to say IDK. John was communicating what God wanted us to know. So, because when you, especially when you deal with like, Timeline things in future and the fact that John was transported in time and place. There's, there's a lot of, I mean, I had a hard time keeping up with Back to the Future, let alone, you know, trying to wrap my brain around what John experienced. All right. You ready for the next one? I'm ready. All right. Were multiple marriages in the Old Testament considered a sin? For example, David had multiple wives. If that was considered a sin, and he continued to live in the sin, seemingly unrepentant, why did God still use him? Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and God still used him. Uh, was Solomon saved? I don't know. I, I, I got to laugh because, you know, these guys had hundreds, you know, like hundreds of wives, and Solomon had 300 porcupines or whatever, and like, and I'm like, yeah, Solomon was wise, but I get to wonder, was Solomon a little crazy? I can't barely handle one wife. And he had like, he had like an army of them. I'm like, what, 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 what were you thinking? And, um, was Solomon saved? Yeah, he was saved. I, I believe Solomon was saved because despite his sin, God spoke to him directly, right? First Kings three, remember God shows up, ask me anything, I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom and he got it. And um, Solomon wrote many of the Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. I'd have a real hard time wrapping my brain around the thought that God wrote a giant chunk of his word through somebody that's not saved. I just, that just doesn't ring with God's character at all. Um, furthermore, you know, <laughs> 
God uses flawed people because we all are, right? Except Jesus Christ, obviously, who is God. But outside of perfect God-man Jesus, God works through imperfect people. So, you know, we get to the Old Testament, we're like, what's up with all this polygamy and all these, all these wives? Well, uh, to be clear, polygamy is a sin. And I would remind you that Old Testament accounts often are descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, Solomon had 700 wives, go and do likewise. It doesn't say that, right? Actually, what it says, 1 Kings chapter 11, we're not going to turn there, but Solomon's wives caused a lot of problems because they led him into idolatry. So if we had Solomon here right now, and we're like, hey, we got a question for you. You know, you're, you're a thousand women, good idea or bad idea, he would be like, it, it wasn't good. Um, and it's funny because even before this question was submitted, I read an article that um, suggested that polygamy was introduced to Israel through the whole um, ordeal with Jacob. And uh, he wanted Rachel. He was tricked into marrying Leah, and then he ended up marrying Rachel. And But because Laban was a pagan, Jacob was like, well, you know, my new father-in-law is going to think it's cool if I marry both of his wives. So he marries multiple women. Now Israel's looking at, you know, the father of the nation. They're like, well, Jacob had multiple wives, so it must be okay. It's not okay. And we know it's not okay because Jesus, when he was asked about marriage and divorce and all these things, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning? He created them, male and female. Therefore, for this purpose, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus said God's purpose from creation was one man for one woman in the covenant of marriage one lifetime. Jesus said that was always God's plan. So, yeah, there are some people in Old Testament Israel that severely deviated from that plan, and it didn't work out well for them at all. And God used him. I mean, his thing was wives, and like our thing might be uh, materialism or uh, eating, overeating, or whatever. And he still uses us, right? Yeah, yeah. We are we are flawed people, and it's it's you know like our friend Dan would say, it's not about perfection, but direction. Are we growing and seeking and striving to know? You know, we don't just excuse sin. Exactly. To be like, well, nobody's perfect, so we might as well just all sin. Jesus paid it all, so let's get our money's worth. Or just these foolish things that people say. We're like we're striving to grow in Christ likeness. You know, knowing that while we're living in this flesh. We are not going to see perfection until glory. And it's pretty awesome to know that uh, God would even use us at all. Oh, isn't that the truth? Amazing. All right, let's uh, move on. Why are there so many different versions of the Bible, specifically the message? I know it gets the same point across, but it says something uh, completely different than my NIV or ESV. Okay, um, so many different translations. Well, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. So the Bibles that we have in English had to have been taken from those languages and translated. Why are there so many different translations? Well, there's different principles of translation. Some are translated word for word. 
Like we're looking at the Hebrew word and the Aramaic word and the Greek word, and we're going to find the English equivalent and transfer it word for word. Some are translated thought for thought. Like this is what is being communicated. This is the sense in which these words are used. So we're going to find the English equivalent word for word versus thought for thought. So, um, yeah, your Bibles can read pretty differently with the same verbiage. Um, but I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. From my perspective, I am not, I am not a translation Nazi. I know some people are, and if there's a translation Nazi here or watching the stream, you are loved to. I'm not one of those people because you know some people that are like the NIV. Huh, what does that mean? The nearly inspired version. I like. Oh, you're hilarious. You're hilarious. Um, can you get the basic gospel message out of the NIV? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And the ESV and the NASB and the uh, King James and except for these, like you know, you're going to get some oddball translation that like wants to change all the pronouns or or like some really weird, creepy, woke version of the Bible. Just and they they exist. They in, exist. In I'm not talking about those. Right. I'm talking about you know your NIVs and your King James and New King James and ESVs and I'm, I'm talking about those. Um, you can get the gospel message. Some translations are better than others in certain parts, but you know, um, at the root, honestly, you, you get the gospel message. And and we um, just real quickly, we needed uh, different versions, I think, because language changes, doesn't it? Yeah, language changes. I mean, um, and I can prove that with a couple words. I mean, the word "gay." a hundred years ago, meant something different than it does today. And right. I'm not saying anything against the people. I'm just saying, the point. don't miss the point about the language changing. Yeah. The words, yeah. And the word brave. I mean, how, how much has the word brave changed in the last year? Am I right? Um, if you look in your Bibles, if you have a King James and you look at Philippians 3.20, it says your conversation is in heaven. The newer versions say your citizenship is in heaven. And that's a better translation because citizenship more closely matches the Greek word there in our vernacular. Right. You know, when the King James was written, they used the word conversation. Right. They don't use that anymore for that. Yeah, and King James uses words like lasciviousness and concupiscence, and we're like, what does that what word mean? What was that mean? word? Yeah, so they, they you know, we, um, and, and more modern translations use words that people are more familiar with, so it's not like Bible in one hand, dictionary in the other, looking up all these words. But the basic gospel message is the same, right? You're, you know, you're a sinner. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came, died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead to give you eternal life. And we are called to turn from our sin and believe in what God has done through Jesus Christ. You can get that message in most translations. All right, related to that, next question. How do we know the Bible we have today is God's complete word? How does the Apocrypha and other extra-biblical literature factor in? How can we be confident in it when it was seemingly assembled and decided by humans during various meetings and councils? That is a fantastic question. Um, why don't you share? You, you used an analogy about... Um... Yeah, I, I studied a little bit about this uh, in the past, and we actually had uh, lessons about this particular thing 
some years ago here at, at church in, in men's, men's group. Um, but there were councils along the way, and the councils didn't decide anything. They recognized things. There's a huge difference there. And, and, and let me just uh, share uh, what I mean by that. And I'm going to pick on Darren Miller for a second. We didn't get together as elders and decide that Darren was a talented musician. We recognize that he is. You see the difference? We didn't make that decision at all. And the early uh, councils that got together on the scriptures, they combed through them meticulously and they recognized what was inspired from God and, and what wasn't. And they did that based on some criteria. There was the authority of the writer. In the Old Testament, it had to be a lawgiver, a prophet, or a leader in Israel, uh, like Moses, for example. When they looked at Moses, um, Moses was the man. Like, the stuff that he wrote, there was no question. It was straight from God. Uh, the second thing um, was internal evidence. Uh, was it orthodox teaching? Was it verified by other scriptures? Did it have a high moral value? Was it extraordinary in... in um, in, in what was written. And then a couple other things, it had uh, a surprising uh, reception by the early church and the relevance, widespread and um, long-term usage in the church. So those were the kind of things that went into recognizing what was Scripture and what wasn't. Right. The whole process is called canonization, and the word canon means measuring rod. And there were... I have... A, the whole thing here, four categories of canonization, but it went through this process. Um, our time's up, but I just want to say one thing about the Apocrypha, because people ask about the Apocrypha a lot. Just real quick. Apocrypha means hidden, and those books are not included in the canon because their authoritative status is disputed, whether it's by doctrine or authorship, as you talked about, Mark, or both. They're Jewish in origin, even though the uh, Jews themselves often don't consider them as authoritative. They're in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, but they are not in the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. And um, interesting thing about the Apocrypha was during the Reformation, like the, the Apocrypha wasn't part of the canon at all. During the Reformation, there were some Christians that were like, there are some... Catholic doctrines that we don't believe in, we don't see them biblically. So um, the uh, Catholic Church at the time added the Apocrypha back into the canon to say, oh yeah, these doctrines, that we they're in the Bible, see, they're just in the Apocrypha. But there's a lot of problems with that. Even the Apocrypha itself doesn't claim to be inspired. You know, um, I have references and things here that, uh, you know, we can talk about another day, but it, it doesn't it doesn't claim to be inspired. But something very noteworthy um, regarding the authority or lack of concerning the apocrypha. Jesus in a, jot this reference down, especially whoever wrote this question. Luke twenty four twenty seven. Jesus explained prophecies regarding him as coming from Moses and the prophets. And not only did Jesus never quote from the Apocrypha, 
none of the old or none of the New Testament writers gave a direct quote from the Apocrypha. So that's a little bit about that. There are some more good questions on here, but uh, those will be showing up on our blog. I know I'm so bummed because they I were good. You, well, I'm 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 just wanting to make sure that you have a happy afternoon in your home. So thank you. So um, would you pray for us, Mark? And thank you for everyone that submitted the questions. We'll be working on getting the rest on the website over the uh, coming weeks. But um, we appreciate the fact that uh, we're we're a church of Bereans. They're searching the scriptures to see, you know, the truth of God's word. So, Mark, pray for us, please. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for our time this morning, uh, where we we get to sing songs and and learn of you in your word uh, in our Sunday morning service. Lord, we get to to get um, together and fellowship with one another and smile and cry and pray over things. Um, Lord, this is a good place to be. We love being here. We're grateful that we can come and that we're still free to do so. Lord, thank you so much for the encouragement that we find in your word. I thank you for the encouragement we find uh, in one another, for our small groups and for our, um, our studies that we do together and our uh, just getting together as, as uh, fellow believers. Lord, I thank you for all that's going on uh, in our church and what you're doing, um, our missions outreaches and uh, the kids' ministry and this worship team that's about to uh, close us out today. Lord, all the teams that do uh, so much for us and um, and with us, and we thank you for them. And Lord, um, we can never forget the great sacrifice uh, that Jesus made on the cross to to, to suffer and bleed and die so that we might have eternal life, uh, so that, as we sang earlier, that all the world can come to him and have their sins removed. Lord, that's amazing, and we are so appreciative of that. Thank you for that opportunity, Lord, and, and may we um, live for this Jesus that died for us and gave us life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy, and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions, and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.